0: Do you think business continuity is boring? Well, how are you dealing with the risk of war, global fuel and energy crisis, inflation, supply chain disruption, cybercrime, climate change, extreme weather, economic stagnation, and heaven forbid if any of these things should happen simultaneously? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 116 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by another Resilience A-lister as powerhouse Ratna Pawan joins the podcast. Ratna shares her experience in the risk and resilience world and tells us that the old school approach to business continuity planning is child's play compared to what we should be focusing on today. She talks about simultaneous risk and she recommends resilience professionals need to up their game, be fluid on their feet, and have plans that are responsive to multiple events. And somehow Alex Fullock's podcast ends up in here. What is going on? Ratna, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. Take a minute and introduce yourself uh, to the audience, please.
1: Thank you, Mark, and uh, very happy to be here as well. Uh, Just to introduce myself, I have over 25 years of professional experience in financial services, uh, with the last 15 years being across operations, risk, and resilience functions uh, across business continuity, crisis management, information security, insider risk and vetting, third-party risk management, fraud investigations, et cetera, et cetera. Interestingly and very beneficially for me, my exposure across Indian startup banks, as well as in complex and matrix-driven global multinational banks, and now as an independent consultant with a big four, has, has given me a rather unique, detailed, and insightful understanding of working across the complete operations, customer, and risk lifecycle uh, around global geographies. Uh, I'm also humbly a proud recipient of recognitions as one of the top uh, women security influencers in India in 2022 and the BCI continuity and resilience contributor India and Southeast Asia 2022
0: yeah you have uh, a very illustrious career I was looking through you sent over your CV your CV and I had a chance to look through it and I have to say how impressed I am with your background um <laughs> and how happy I I am that you've decided to come onto the podcast because you have, such a strong base to work from and i think you have a lot to share with our colleagues and i'm glad that you're here to do that uh on a side you've also just recently moved from india to canada right so uh welcome and uh, what you. prompted that move <laughs>
1: Well, uh, it's it's multiple factors, Mark, Uh, uh, most importantly being that my daughter moved here about three years back uh, and has just finished her graduation with the University of Toronto and has actually moved to a role in global compliance with Scotia Bank. Uh, We just have one daughter, plus uh, my husband and me were pretty um, mobile in that sense. So we said, why not try something new, just one life. So let's explore everything. So that's what prompted it.
0: I hope you brought warm clothes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, we did. We were, we were, we were a warned of brutal winters here, but so far it's been great, to be honest, Mark.
0: So far, so good, yeah. yeah. As I mentioned, you've been doing this for a long time, and you started off as a risk officer back in 2008. Yeah. But that transitioned after a couple of years to having you be the head of business continuity for an organization with over 50,000 employees.
1: That's correct. You're the
0: head of business continuity for a large organization like that, so sort of a a, a brutal welcome to the party, right? <laughs> um, I, I want you to talk about that first job. Uh, were you leveraging your risk management background? Like, did you inherit a strong program? How did you know what to do?
1: Whoa, that's that's really interesting. And when I look back that many years, I really wonder how I did it. Uh, mm-hmm. so in all transparency and honesty, I actually landed landed up in business continuity more by accident than design. Happens uh, all the time. When- <laughs> Absolutely. But when I really got into it, um, you know, and I was offered that role because they were looking for somebody and they saw that, uh, you know, I kind of fit the bill and I don't know how they thought I fitted the bill, but they offered me that role up front and I said, okay, no harm. I'm always happy to try new things. So while my background at that point of time was completely in retail banking, uh, sales and operations and a little bit of uh, risk exposure uh, in the of all of that. Uh, But I actually moved into the business continuity role pretty much uh, with an open mind. Uh, and I saw that business continuity, yes, it does require you to understand the basic concepts, but a very large part of that is also commonsensical in terms of how do you actually deal with the crisis? How do you interact with stakeholders? How do you take uh, you know um, all of the other departments into play when you're planning something? A lot of that becomes uh Business continuity, knowledge, understanding, plans, BIs, and, and the rest of it is definitely, definitely important. I'm not going to kind of diminish the value of uh, those concepts, but a lot of the other aspects which are human related also play a large part because you're only as strong as the people really are living with those, and and that's where I think my strength was, and that's why I think I really grew. And once I was in it, I kind of got hooked, Mark. So. From business continuity, I moved on to, you know, managing the larger spectrum of risks within non-financial risks in the financial services domain. And I loved every bit of it.
0: Uh, it's very interesting how you talk about that because something similar happened with me that once I got into this, it just clicked and I knew this is where I was meant to be. And, and it's yeah. it's fun, isn't it? When when that happens to you, it it's a lot better than feeling like you're swimming upstream all the time. You referenced something a lot as I read through your CV. You talk about global capability and technology centers. What do you mean by that? What is that?
1: Okay. So uh, this is uh, when I was working with a large multinational bank, Mark. Uh, So they had uh, kind of um, identified their global operation centers as global capability centers, because that's where all the work from the business services was getting offshored to. And ditto for global technology centers, because that's where all the work uh, in terms of technology for the bank as a whole was really happening. And I'm manage the business continuity to start with, and then across the other security and fraud risk domains for both the capability and the technology centers for that large bank. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Now, obviously, over the years, you've grown immeasurably in your knowledge and in your career. But how would you say the industry has changed in that same time frame? We're seeing more emphasis, I guess, on operational resilience and so forth. But how are you seeing the industry changing?
1: Oh, I'm actually seeing the industry uh, really pivoting towards a very strong operational resilience, um, uh, you know, uh, where, where industries are being forced to really adopt operational resilience, I would say, and rightly so for organizations and countries around the world, especially, I think, since 2020, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else that came with it was almost akin to dealing with war and that too for a war that they were not really prepared for. Uh, and the threat environment as we're looking at it right now only continues to get more volatile and uncertain with multiple risks that we are now living with in our midst, uh, whether it's war and we are seeing two simultaneously happening right now, the global fuel and energy crisis, inflation, supply chain disruption, cyber crime, climate change, extreme weather, economic stagnation, Honestly, the list just goes on, and some of which are now manifesting simultaneously, thereby urging the organizations to up their ante on overall resilience and also being prepared for the unexpected. Suddenly, the scenarios as risk professionals that we were traditionally preparing for now seems only child's play. Uh, so the financial services industry, which is uh, which is where I come from, so I, you know, um, excuse me, but I'm going to... You know, talk about them more because I understand that bit more. Oh, it's sure. a highly regulated industry. Uh, and there's brought about a host of operational resilience mandates for banks and other financial services firms to implement. So in a sense, the financial services firms are actually leading the charge in defining what operational resilience is how it needs to be defined and how it needs to be implemented and adopted. Uh, not so much, uh, unfortunately, for the non-regulated industries, but there's still a need for even defining what resilience is and what being resilient will really look like. So there's a lot of uh, scope there uh, for, for for us consultants and for these firms to really adopt. Though I see a lot of them being very conscientious now uh, and adopting some measures basis their industry, sector, country, and overall experience in the last two or three years. Uh, so yes, there's a tangible transition that I'm seeing from moving on to you know, the siloed approach of managing non-financial risks one department at a time within a financial services firm, uh, to it being a complete uh, umbrella of operational resilience, whether it's for board's view or for the regulators and so on.
0: You said a lot there, and I, there's a lot to unpack. And I have four follow-ups that I want to ask that sure. were never even considered until uh, you just gave that answer. The first one, I'm going to have just a little bit of fun with you. Uh, you, <laughs> sure. you, you referenced uh, preparing for the unexpected. That's not the name of my podcast. That's Alex Fullock's podcast. <laughs> and so yes. I will kindly ask you to stay within the lane of our podcast. <laughs> Um, sure. uh, Alex and I go back and forth all the time and it's because people always wonder how we can collaborate so much when we're so you know,
1: we we'll s- <laughs> supposed to
0: be competitors. Yeah, um, sure. but seriously, uh, some things that you said there that I really, really like and it's now going to become the theme of this episode. You said, I'm going to paraphrase it, but you said that the old school approach to business continuity, the things that we used to cover now seems like child's play.
1: That's correct.
0: If, That's if correct. we're still focusing on business continuity plans that resemble what they used to look like five years ago, we're really missing the boat. But more than missing the boat and doing a disservice to our organizations, we're also missing out on an opportunity for ourselves to add meaningful content to the program, right? Talk about that.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, honestly, one is meaningful content to the program in itself, which is now imminent. uh, And also, uh, two, I would say, um, us as risk professionals, uh, till yesterday, if we called ourselves business continuity risk professionals, and by the way, I do see, Mark, uh, some of them having transitioned to calling themselves now operational resilience professionals, uh, risk professionals without really having, you know, um, uh, gone up the curve on moving from business continuity to resilience. And if you really ask them what this means, they don't really have an answer, except for the fact that it's now interchangeably used. Uh, anyways, coming back to the point here, I do see that while business continuity in itself has not lost its relevance, it's lost its relevance to operate in a silo. Yeah. Business continuity will be effective only when a business continuity professional, while drafting their plan, has considered what can go wrong from a, uh, from a 360 degree perspective across multiple risk domains and functions. What can go wrong with when a cyber attack happens and how to prepare for that? What can happen when an earthquake and a cyber attack happens together. What can go wrong if a physical security event and a fraud happens simultaneously? So, where the threat environment has transitioned, the business continuity plans need to transition as well. Uh, plus, they also need to remain fluid because you know there is no firm plan that can you know um, cater to multiple scenarios. And we are seeing um, a very different kind of scenarios and multiple such incidents happening simultaneously together so no one plan can prepare for all of those right mm-hmm. so the only the only thing that can work right now in an organization is to have a broad based plan and to be fluid on their feet, and to have multiple such scenario exercises done. In fact, I would say the stress moves from plans to scenarios where you have tried to test for multiple things going wrong, tangible uh, scenarios as such.
0: I mentioned that I had a number of follow-ups to your previous answer, and I do want to jump a little bit on this operational resilience thing, because you talked about it as some people view it as being a term that's interchangeably used with business continuity. I'm not sure if you see it that way, but, and I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. This might be a little bit of a difficult question, but why is it that people who have supposed responsibility for operational resilience can't even tell you what that means?
1: Okay, so honestly speaking, uh, Mark, I wouldn't blame uh, the people overall as an industry, you will see various terminologies being used in the space, you will see people using operational resilience, enterprise resilience, organization resilience, business continuity, uh, management, all of them being interchangeably used without a proper understanding of the firm definitions, uh, you know, uh, there really, which are relevant. Uh, now, business continuity professionals, suddenly, if you see some of their profiles and signatures, have moved to calling themselves operational resilience specialists in the financial services industry as such. And, you know, uh, You know uh, and I'm sure you have that visibility as well as a consultant but when I look at the large organizations while they have pivoted to calling and having a department or a unit called operational resilience they do have subject matter experts below there Managing business continuity, which is operationally business continuity, ITDR, information security, third-party risk, and so on. So not that there has been an amalgamation of risks, uh, skill sets as such. So there is no one person or uh, who has all the relevant skills across operational resilience, if I may say so that way. And I don't think anybody can claim to say, I understand third party risk as well as I understand operational risk or I understand disaster recovery or I understand insider risk and I understand reputation risk. And I think And I think you need those specialists who have done their certifications and so on. They've spent so much time and effort doing that, so you've got to give them that benefit. Uh, And they all need to now come together and work together for the organization as a whole to understand and have an operational resilience, a coherent operational resilience solution and program, actually. Uh,
0: So as a consultant uh, like you, I have certain skills, Uh right? Um, and I know you have a a wide range of skills, but you're right. We can't be experts in everything. Yeah. And so that really demonstrates our need to collaborate with people in adjacent disciplines and work together and build on those strengths. It is absolutely essential. It's not optional anymore. It's, it's really essential
1: absolutely and and that that's the pivot uh, or the tangible transition we are seeing mark at one point of time it was optional uh many many years back when i joined it's it was okay for the business continuity team to not know what's happening in information security or you know the it team to not know what's happening uh in operations risk but right now it's it's almost imperative for these teams to come together and work together
0: yeah i agree 100% It's time for us in this conversation to tie a couple of really key components together. We've been talking about a much more mature approach to resilience. And early on, we talked about it coming out of a risk background for you. Uh, This is really, really important for our colleagues. This is a message we need to spread more. Because I think you and I do things a little bit differently than a lot of people in our industry. Identifying risks and vulnerabilities, and tying it back to resilience is absolutely key. Tell me why and what we're trying to accomplish by doing that.
1: Oh, uh, it's a very, very relevant question, Mark, because I think as risk professionals, our greatest, um, uh, I would say, skill would be in being able to identify the threats and risks that both internal and external to the organization uh, that we are helping or operating in uh, to be able to really help them understand what is it that they need to be prepared for. Because if you don't know that, then you know everything else is really moot. So again, this is challenging because we are talking about understanding the threat landscape across multiple risk domains, you know, and understanding it across cyber crime, climate change, uh, across geopolitical risk, across uh, business continuity is not a mean task, but that's where we come in. That's where our collaborative skills come in in terms of being able to sit across the table with these subject matter experts and being able to assess and understand the threats and risks that are in imminent inherent uh, both existing and um, you know the, the ones that we see coming our way um, know, like most of us didn't see the pandemic uh, coming our way. And that really caught us off guard. So I think we are all on um, our guard right now to ensure that there is nothing else lurking uh, around the corner, which is going to catch us off guard anymore, like the pandemic did, because it made us feel a little foolish, really, because especially Mark, you know, since I was in India, and we had seen such um you know china and 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 and, and asia as a whole had witnessed a few h1n1 scenarios uh, earlier so not that the pandemic was new to the world. It's just that we didn't see it coming with a ferocity and intensity and, and, and you know, it, it globally hitting so quickly. Uh, but I think those are things that we need to start factoring. We need to start looking at the risks and threats for what it really is. For example, the new climate change, the third party risks, I think, which the regulators are also forcing us to focus on, uh, is going to be the next thing that we will have to, you know, kind of really sink our
0: teeth into but like you said it's not just that there's so many other things geopolitical cyber all of these things and then and then the the new term that every it's not new anymore but the term that everybody's starting to use is poly crisis where you have all of these things or multiple things happening at once um there are people that i know who are listening to this podcast right now who hate I don't mean they kind of don't like it. I mean, they hate the idea that we're tying risk and resilience together. But the two disciplines are so related. Why do you think people miss the connection between these two important disciplines?
1: Oh, that's a little difficult to answer, Mark, about why do you miss it? But I can see that it's actually surprising to be to be very honest because they are really interconnected i am today doing a project with a large bank uh, where where they have called their team as operations risk and resilience which means that they are looking at addressing both simultaneously you know one that. without the other will be incomplete and if you see some of the regulators including the canadian osfi has now come up with a guideline uh, which is which is uh, currently in draft status of course but they are now coming up with guidelines uh, calling for risk and resilience in the same um, uh, you know, kind of in the same breath, uh, asking organizations to kind of interconnect the two because they believe that you will not be able to achieve one without the other because you will need to have strong risk principles applied even to your resilience domain because resilience domain is nothing but multiple non-financial risks really within Uh, a broad umbrella under operations resilience, right? Uh, Which means that you need the operation risk principles and tools to be able to assess, understand, analyze, uh, put the mitigating controls, and so on and so forth. So they they are inherently connected.
0: I like what you said there. To me, a good resilience strategy is an effective risk mitigation approach. I mean, you know what I mean? Because we have as you said, we've identified a risk that's something that is pertinent to this organization and to be prepared for that, to be able to mitigate that through good resilience strategies just makes a lot of sense.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: If you were doing resilience for an organization and you didn't do anything at all to address a cyber attack, the fact pattern of that, looking backwards on the event, lawyers or anyone really with an objective view would look at that and say, how could you have not seen that coming? And and if you think of it that way, we identify cyber as a risk and we do something about it. And I just think it's really important for us to be aware of the fact that our actions or lack of actions are very likely going to be scrutinized at the end of a major incident.
1: Oh, absolutely, Mark. In fact, uh, if you will agree with me, then this is something that we have always done, uh, a post-incident report, uh, where you are actually sitting down um, across the table with every stakeholder that was impacted or that kind of uh, contributed when the incident occurred uh, to try and understand firstly, what went wrong? Uh, Secondly, what were some of the gaps and vulnerabilities at our end, which we could have seen uh, detected prior, and we did not, which is why it hit us harder. Uh, and how do we actually, you know, stitch those gaps in? Uh, thirdly, uh, when the incident was occurring, what did we do right and what did we do wrong? So if you did it right, you pat your back. And if you did it wrong, then you kind of uh, look at uh, how you could have done it better. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the common uh, issues that come up there is communications, either you're communicating more or you're communicating less or uh, something like that, but that always comes up. Uh, then uh, uh, what is it that you need to really, um, Kind of correct to ensure that this event uh, either doesn't occur at all or if it does occur, then how do we uh, mitigate? its impact on us. And, you know, this could be a cyber event, it could be uh, any other geopolitical event, uh, but I think uh, more or less the modus operandi for being able to go back to that event and look at it very honestly. And, and you know, I, I think the key here, Mark, is honesty, because some of us, when we're sitting across the table, are always trying to justify our actions, oh, but yeah. that is not the time to justify. That's the time to be real. That's, a, that's the time to be really honest, uh, because, uh, you know, that's that's only going to help us going forward.
0: That's right. That's right. Honest assessment is key there. All right, I've asked you some difficult questions on this podcast, but this might be the <laughs> hardest one. I don't know. Uh, if you had your choice of music to be played as you are walking to a podium to speak, we would call that your walk-up music, what song would you pick and why?
1: Ouch. <laughs> this indeed was the toughest question you asked me so far.
0: Okay, so, <laughs> so
1: since you mentioned uh, walk to the podium music, I think I must honestly share here that, you know, I've done a lot of stage talks, but I still feel the butterflies in my stomach a few minutes prior to each session, every time. Yeah. Uh, well, but so far, I haven't thought of a song, uh, but if it was to be a song most apt for me, I think it would definitely have to be It's My Life, It's Now or Never by Bon Jovi. Because that song always gets me upbeat. And, you know, I've realized once I go up on stage and start talking, then, you know, that, that those butterflies vanish. But, yeah, that would be my song.
0: You know, I everyone has those butterflies before they get up to speak or <laughs> or, or practically everyone. And people list public speaking as their number two fear, like dying and then public speaking. And I don't think they're really that far apart as far as some people don't like to get up there. But yep. it's important that you you uh, overcome those butterflies because you have a message, Ratna. You have uh, a voice, and I'm so happy that you shared it with us today on the podcast. How can people connect with you?
1: Uh, Mark, uh, before I get there, it's been an honor to uh, sit here and talk to you because I just uh, listen to every one of your podcasts and I love uh, the work that you're doing there. And as far as connecting with me is concerned, it's fairly simple. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. uh, So please connect with me on it. Like I said, initially, I have moved to Canada. So I'm looking for networking platforms here and groups on resilience and any other non-financial risks that you feel relevant. So if you're listening to this podcast, do look me up and look me in. All right.
0: Right. Ratna, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure.
0: I want to thank Ratna Pawan for joining me this week and talking to us about simultaneous risk, the tie-in between risk and resilience, and the need to be more mature and intentional with our business continuity and resilience programs. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production. And we have another Resilience A-lister next week. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on with 2024. But Margaret Millett joins us. And you won't want to miss that. So join us, won't you, as we continue our Resilient Journey. Seen a song for the broken hearted.